Welcome to Sunday Morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and in response to the events of the amazing resurrection at Easter, it now becomes our job to discern how we respond to the events of Holy Week and Christ being raised from the dead. We are to discern how we are being led to live, to change our lives, to care for others, to welcome others to Christ's table. This is our call and our challenge. Let's do this together. Come on in. Our first scripture lesson is taken from the book of Psalms. It's the 19th Psalm, verses 1 through 10. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, their voice is not heard. Yet, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And nothing is hid from its heat the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true, and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. This is the word of the Lord. Our second passage is taken from the book of Exodus. It is chapter 20. It is verses 1 through 17. It is perhaps some of the most familiar passages that we know in our Judeo-Christian Bible. Even non-believers know the Ten Commandments. So I invite you to listen again with fresh ears as God calls us back to the beginning here with Moses and God up on the mountain. Exodus 20, 1 through 17. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of slavery you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, 
punishing children for the iniquity of parents of the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In a book called Stupid History by Leland Gregory, this story is told that in 1631, King Charles I ordered a thousand Bibles from an English printer named Robert Baker. So this is 1631. The King James Version was uh, was printed and commissioned in 1611. It's when that came out. This is a little bit later. So King Charles looking for a thousand Bibles to be printed. Printing was not an exact science in those days, and sometimes mistakes were made. Barker, the printer, inadvertently left out a single word in the seventh commandment. Exodus 20:14. The word not was left out. Readers were shocked to find find out that God had commanded Moses, thou shalt commit adultery, as opposed to thou shalt not commit adultery. King Charles was not amused by this mistake, ordered all of those thousand Bibles destroyed, fined Barker 300 pounds sterling, a life's wages in those days, revoked his printing license, Barker was out of business. I'm amazed they did not kill him. Not all the Bibles were destroyed, however. There are 11 known to still exist. Because of the infamous mistake, the printing of this King James Version is referred to as the Wicked Bible. And don't you know, wherever those 11 are, somebody just walk up, preacher, God's word. God's word says, I gotta. It's a commandment, Moses, Sinai. That is not what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? Let's take a look at this again. Remember, we are in Exodus, the second book of the Bible. The world has come into creation. We've seen the lineage of Adam and Eve and Abraham and Sarah, um, of the descendants all the way through Joseph and his family at the end of Genesis. And we have just come through 
The Israelites being enslaved and God bringing them out through Moses and Aaron through the parting of the Red Sea into the wilderness. They having been given manna because they were hungry and water from the rock in the wilderness. And God calls Moses up to the mountaintop and says, I need you to take these down with me, with you. These are the laws that I'm giving you as the newest community. As you are starting to form as a people, you are no longer slaves. You are my new community and family. And Moses says, God, you know, I've been through a lot. I've been up here a while. I haven't eaten very much. I haven't slept very much. The whole lightning, thunder with your voice kind of thing. I have a splitting headache. God said, take these two tablets and pray for me in the morning. Sorry. So Moses is up and God sends the two tablets. He comes down to bring them as parameters for this new community, as Vicki talked about. So many things, the last thing any of us think we need are more rules that govern who we are and what we do. Who likes to be told what to do and to have more rules thrust upon you? Well, nobody. And yet, without them, things can deteriorate and be a disaster. She talked about games. How many people watched college football over the weekend? Good amount of folks, yep. And, and while how they apply those rules and laws. It's chaos enough with the rules and guidelines. Imagine college football with no referees, with no flags. How quickly would that game deteriorate into some kind of rugby scrum, just kill the guy with the ball? It would deteriorate rapidly, not allowing for the game that we know and seek to enjoy. Anytime people come together, it is helpful to have parameters of how that group of people is going to function. It's no different here. God sends these down. And really, as Vicki said, it's broken up into a couple of sections, these 10. The first couple are all about our relationship with God directly. Worship no other gods. And remember, in the time that this was given, Israelites, even though they're in the wilderness, they are completely surrounded by Greco-Roman gods everywhere. Multiple gods, multiple um, um, altars set up and places of worship for all of these other gods. God says, worship no other gods but me. And second, no idols. Do not worship any idols. Again, that was common practice to make idols of these gods do you remember in, in Paul's life, he gets run out of town by the idol business industry because he said, you do not worship these. There is only one God. Do not buy these little idols and bring them to the altar. And of course, for us, idols are much more than a statue. Idols are things that we worship instead of God. Maybe it's greed, maybe it's lust, maybe it's power, maybe it is ourselves at the center instead of God. 
Our families can be an idol. The cross itself can be an idol. God says, whatever you would fabricate of me does not contain all of who I am. And you think you will have power over me if you come up with a symbol. In essence, you put me in some kind of box and you seal it up. That is not who I am. Your little human brains can never contain and understand, so don't try. Just know it's me and do not try these little pieces. No idols. Third, keep God's name holy. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. And yes, because when we invoke that name, it is invoking God. The name is our God and Savior's name, not just a throwaway social light on the cussing spectrum phrase. And even back in that day, names of gods were invoked to do certain things. They were trying to do magic and they were trying to manipulate and use their God's names, God says, honor my name. In doing so, you honor me. For the Sabbath, we know this. This one is a hard one for us. Easier in the old days when nothing was open on Sunday. There were no temptations. There were no restaurants open. There were no grocery stores open. There were no movie theaters open on Sunday. You had to stay home and be with your family. Whoa, scary. Be with your neighbors, be with your friends. How did they do it? And today it's all open. It's no different than any other days, which compromises the meaning of this Sabbath. If God can create six day and God rests, then we need to as well. How does God culminate the amazing cycle of creation? Six days of bringing all of this and all of us into being from nothing. And the culmination of that is to rest. Sabbath is not just not doing what you normally do. Sabbath is not just laying down and doing nothing. Sabbath entails being connected with God, resting your heart and soul and resting in God. We have a hard time with that. So much so that my suggestion is that since most of us don't do that on a Sunday, although this is a part and you are here, this is Sabbath time, I hope you will feel rested and fed as a part of being here together through all that the church event and family offers. But during the week, you have to seek that in larger and small ways intentionally. That daily Sabbath where we can rest our souls if only for 10 to 15 minutes. How do you do that? Is it taking a walk around your building or your neighborhood? Is it finding a devotion that feeds you? Is it some prayer time and alone time, some meditation? We all have to recommit ourselves to Sabbath because we are all overrun by this work ethic. Work is good and working hard is good, but not if we can't rest. Then we're so far out of balance that we start to affect not only our own well-being, but those around us our families, our friends, our communities. Sabbath is key. 
but we can't do it the same way they did then or even the way they used to, but we have to find that. You have to seek that and work that out for yourself. So five, we're starting to transition now from our relationship with God. These are the things we need to aspire to. We've heard these 10 commandments all our lives. How are we doing on the first couple? Sabbath out sometimes. You're here. That's a start. Good for you. Have I not worshiping other gods and other idols? Well, depending on the day. You know, I'm good and I, yes, thank you. Not taking the Lord's name in vain. That's an easy one to target. That's just you do it or you don't. That's an easier one. But it's, it's more an honoring of God and not forgetting God's glory and power and majesty and might that we can just reduce God to even a name that we're given in the Bible. So now we pivot to the fifth. Honor your mother and father. I had several other small comedic things to offer. One child responded, humor thy mother and father. It's often what our children do. Humor the old man. Honor thy mother and father. And, and think again about that system of the new communities and the way that the extensive families lived and operated in that time. The extended family was there. The larger family that you had, the better chance that you could grow more, you could manage more um, herds and crops, you could produce more, you could make more wealth. The more that you had was almost directly proportional to the size of the family that you had. And the mother and father as matriarch and patriarch were key. There's also some understanding of the transmission of generational norms and values, especially back when it was an oral tradition society. How were things taught? Well, you sit down with your elders, in this case, your parents, and they tell you about how things used to be, what it was like when they were slaves in Egypt, Egypt, who their parents were and other extended family. They relayed the identity of the family in small ways and large as a community of faith and their nuclear family, honoring mother and father. Six, shall not murder. I think the better translation is not kill. I think it is murder. It, it wasn't meant in a general broad scope. It was that which was a detriment to the community because that's what these laws were enacted for. Murdering within the community, homicide would be almost a, a better understanding. Shall not commit adultery. That isn't just for the sake of the two whom are married, and someone breaks that. Again, when you were thinking about the way families operated in that time, the clear delineation of the genealogical line from mom and dad to firstborn and all the way that that continues, you have adultery in that time and place. You step out and all of a sudden there's another line that competes with this line, Something else is going on over here and it muddies the water of that family and the clear line and the intent of the design. 
shall not steal, shall not bear false witness. This lying, we all do a little bit of white lying, right? But we know when it harms others. And this is meant in a judicial sense that without integrity, without truth and honesty, justice means nothing. It's a waste of time to go into a court if the judge lies, if the attorneys lie, if the defendant lies, and if the witnesses lie. Truth cannot be found. Justice cannot be found. Do not bear false witness. Do not lie. And finally, do not covet your neighbor's stuff. One little girl in the Sunday school class, what does that last commandment mean? She said, thou shalt not take the covers off thy neighbor's wife. (laughs) That's not too far. But we know what envy and jealousy does. It can produce some of these other commandments we've already worked through. If you are jealous and envious of everyone who has something different or better than you, and there is always someone who has things that are different and better and nicer, because the world is always evolving to the better and nicer thing, then maybe you murder for those things. Maybe because you covet something outside of your marriage, your relationship, murder is a result of some of those things. You steal in some cases because you covet and you are jealous of what others have. There are a variety of reasons and many layers for all of this. But this last one is a big one as well. We have to work hard at not being jealous or envious of what other people have. We can appreciate that for that person and say, I'm still a good person. I still lead a good life. Social media is hard not to envy other people because you see the snapshots and I'm saying, don't post, please post. I like to see when y'all are traveling, doing fun stuff. But the negative side of that is when you go from saying, oh, look, they're having a great time. I hope they do, is to saying, how come I'm not doing what they're doing? Am I a bad parent because we're not doing what they're doing or they're having fun? How come we're not having fun? The second half of these rules are meant for the community, meant for the civil community and grouping. So the first part is us loving God, and the second part is us loving our neighbor. And one of our young disciples said, why are those rules in the community? So we don't harm one another. That's right. We don't like rules. We don't like God sitting up on the mountain waving God's finger saying, don't do this, don't do this. When God is saying, this is the best way for you to flourish in joy and in love and get to know me closer and one another. It's what I'm calling you to do. So this division of the Ten Commandments of love God and love neighbor, hmm, we heard that before? It's everywhere all the time, all the way through Scripture. We, we know the big ones in Matthew 22, in Mark 12, in Luke 10, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest in the first commandment? 
And he says, the first part of the Ten Commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength. That's from Deuteronomy called the Shema 6-4. But encompasses those first four. And then love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second six. So it is about loving God and loving community. God sets it up here. And when Jesus says that, love your neighbor as yourself, he was quoting from Leviticus 19.18. Way back, Leviticus has a lot of weird stuff that we're not sure about. But this is where love your neighbor starts, way early in the Torah, way early in the Old Testament. So as a group of people here in 2023, our call is to look at those first four and see how we are doing. Revisit these commandments It is one thing to know them and walk with them and have them be a part of your foundation of faith. It's another to practice them. That's what we're being called to do today. Take a look at those first four. How are we doing on loving God with all that we are? And then pivot and look to loving our neighbor as it is laid out. What about those who murder, commit adultery, steal, lie, and are jealous and envious? What's behind that? What causes them to do that? These are societal ills and systemic brokenness. We are called to engage those and help in the ways that we can to love our neighbor as ourself, not just to point and say, that was a bad decision, you shouldn't have done that. We need to take a second step and say, what led to that person making that poor decision? And we need to work on that as a community of faith. When we do these things, God says it's not what you shouldn't do, these things will free you. And within these parameters, you will find me, one another, and a joyful and abundant life. So go forth on this day and remember again, these 10 commandments also represent what Jesus told us to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Go through these 10 commandments this week. Talk about it with your partners, your family, your friends, your church community, and say, how can we engage and help one another in the first part and our community in the second? This is our call to revisit the basics, these teachings, these commandments. They are powerful and they are made for our abundant life. So let us commit to that this week and let God transform us through these 10 simple but not so simply lived statements. Hallelujah. Amen.